There's two readings this morning. The first is from Psalm 37, which will be found in page 563 in the Church Bibles. And the second one will be from Matthew chapter 5, which is page 968 in the Church Bible. So it's Psalm 37, verse 1. Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed. But those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while... And the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. And Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father God, we've just sung of the, the meekness and majesty of Jesus Christ, and we pray now that as we come to your word that we would understand more of that, you would reveal something of what that meekness and majesty means, that we would be able to worship you as our God and follow you with all of our lives and that we too would be those who are meek and receive the blessing that you promised to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's just a couple of weeks before Holiday Club starts. It's very exciting, in case you're not aware of the theme of this year's Holiday Club. It is, here's a clue, superheroes, superheroes. Now, if you were asked to describe those uh, superheroes there, maybe in a, a word or two. I wonder what the word is that you would uh, come up with. I doubt um, any of you would probably come up with the word meek. The greatest superhero the children are going to be looking at in Holiday Club is, of course, Jesus. Um, I wonder if you would describe him as meek. Would that be the first word that comes to mind? And yet, he describes himself as meek. 
He promises in the Beatitudes that we're looking at this morning that the meek will be blessed. So what does meek actually mean? It's a strange word, isn't it? Not one that we use too much today. Don't really drop it into casual conversation. Um, it also has quite a negative connotation, doesn't it? The Google Dictionary, for example, came up with this definition. Quiet, gentle, and easily imposed on. Submissive. An example it gave was, she brought her meek little husband along. <laughs> Impression it gives is of someone who's weak and timid. And Jesus certainly wasn't weak or timid. But he did describe himself as, we- as meek. This is... Uh, What he said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek, translated in many translations as gentle, but the word is meek and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It is interesting that a lot of the passages in the Bible that would previously have used the translation meek have now been replaced with the word gentle. And probably because of those modern-day connotations of the word. Gentle is part of what it means to, to be meek, along with humility and submission. But easily imposed on would not really be a characteristic of biblical meekness. Because as we will see, meekness is actually a strong character trait that requires great self-control and great trust in God. So what exactly is the the biblical meaning of the word? What is this characteristic that we are to demonstrate as followers of Jesus? Well, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary gets a bit closer to the biblical use. Um, It's one of its definitions is enduring injury with patience and without resentment. But before we look at it further, it's important to point out that the Beatitudes follow a particular order. and They're all interrelated. And it's significant that Blessed are the meek comes after blessed are those who mourn, that we looked at last week. And before, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So the first point we need to make is the meek mourn their sin. This is where we left off last week. We looked at uh, the fact that we should acknowledge our spiritual poverty and we should mourn it. It should cause us great grief. Which should be those who don't just confess their sin, but are full of contrition. We look to the example of Isaiah and uh, Peter, who were cut to the heart when they became aware of their sin and felt unworthy to remain in the presence of God. But we also saw how when we mourn our sin, we are promised that we will be comforted. We will have the guilt of our sins taken away. We also said that as we rejoice in God's grace that has caused us to be forgiven, we shouldn't take sin any longer for granted. That would be to cheapen grace. And as we mourn all the sin in our life, it should cause us to be filled with a greater gratitude for what Jesus has done for us on the cross, but also prompt us to do something about the sin that remains. So what is the link between mourning sin then being meek and hungering for righteousness. Well, it's a movement from focusing on ourselves to focusing on others. Meekness is about having a humble and a gentle attitude towards others. 
to be filled with grief and compassion towards those who have been broken by their own sin or the sin of others towards them. But in order to have that compassion for, for others, we need first to have a true understanding of ourselves. Hence, we need to acknowledge our own sin and we need to mourn it. The thing is, as Martin Lloyd-Jones pointed out, uh, it's comparatively easy to be honest with ourselves before God, acknowledge ourselves to be sinners in his sight, but he said how much more difficult it is to allow other people to say things like that about me. I instinctively resent it. We all of us prefer to condemn ourselves than to allow somebody else to condemn us. And what he says that reveals is not just hypocrisy, but an absence of meekness. And let's face it, we all find that hard, don't we? And I'm not here to beat you up and make you feel bad about that. Um, after all, the Beatitudes are a celebration of God's work in us. But unless we're aware of what's lacking in us, then we won't know what to ask God to fill us with. Where else might we become aware of that lack of meekness in our lives in relation to, to others? It's primarily when we're treated badly by others. Uh, when we're sinned against, how do we respond in that situation? If we're not aware of the sin on our own lives, then we will respond in a way which is just sinful. I remember in my, in my school days, um, uh, one incident, I think I was in year eight or nine, um, and there was somebody just pushing me from behind. Um, I was getting a little bit knocked about this, and um, instead of turning around and saying, look, do you, um, do you mind stop doing that, please? It's rather annoying. Um, instead, I turned around and punched him in the face. Um, now, that was a very immature response, wasn't it? Um, showed a complete lack of meekness. And you might think, well, I'd never do that. But how often do we respond in a similar way? Um, even as adults, maybe not with our fists, but with our words. They've hurt me, so I'm going to get my own back. How does the meek person respond in that situation? Well, let's turn to Psalm 37 that Val read for us, um, because that contains the same phrase um, that Jesus uses in the Beatitudes. <coughs> turn back to Psalm 37, page 563 in the Church Bibles. Um, you'll see there in verse 11, it says, The meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. This is a psalm that we use frequently in our weekly prayer meetings um, when we were planning the building project a few years ago. Um, because as a church, we faced a lot of unfair uh, opposition. People were saying all sorts of uh, things about us that were not true. Um, and we wanted to respond in a godly way, with, with meekness. And what we see in this psalm is that the meek do not fret, but they trust in the Lord. The first words of the psalm, which are repeated a few times, are do not fret. And verse 1 says, do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. Verse 7 says, do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Or verse 8, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret it leads only to evil. To fret means to be constantly anxious. In another context, it means to, to gradually wear away by rubbing or, or gnawing, 
which conveys the idea of just something gnawing away at us or grinding us down. We can't get it out of our minds. Somebody's done us wrong, and we're angry. And the danger is that we ourselves end up doing something that is wrong in response. Do not fret, it leads only to evil. Now, although in the films, the supposedly strong response is to, to get your own back, get your revenge. That's not really a strong response, is it? That's just allowing your emotions to, to take control. The strong response is to control that anger and to seek justice. It's like um, taming a horse. A horse is an amazingly strong animal. That's why engines are measured um, in horsepower. A wild, uncontrolled horse can be quite dangerous. But when it's tamed, it doesn't lose its strength and power, but it's now applied purposefully. And so when the racehorse is released from the stalls, there's a tremendous unleashing of power, but it's a positive power. And which human being has demonstrated the greatest control of power in the face of injustice? Isn't it Jesus? Think of the injustice he faced. The false accusations, the plots on his life, the eventual false imprisonment, the beating, the crucifixion. And yet in all of that, he did not fret. When the soldiers came to arrest him, his disciples did fret. And one of them cut off the ear of the, uh, the high priest's servant. But Jesus healed it. And he said, do you think I cannot call on my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. He had the power to resist, but he chose not to. That is meekness. So if we're not to fret, then what are we to do if we're to be meek? What is the antidote to, to fretting? The antidote is trust, which we've already looked at this morning, haven't we? And it's here all over this, this psalm. Uh, it's here in slightly different ways. <clears throat> Verse 3 says, trust in the Lord. Verse 4, take delight in the Lord. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. It's easy to trust in the Lord when things are going well, isn't it? Um, but what about when they're not? When it appears that the bad people are prospering? What do we do when we hear of um, Franklin Graham, Graham coming to this country to tell people about Jesus? And uh, being denied that opportunity because he holds to the, the teaching of the Bible on homosexuality. To trust in the Lord in these situations is to acknowledge that he is in control. That his purposes are good, that he will work out his purposes. And so to commit your way to him is to continue to do good. <clears throat> continue to live in a way that pleases God. Even when your instinct says something else. Even when the world expects a different response. Even when people may consider you to be weak. It may take uh, time for us to see God's plan, which is why we are called to be still before him. And to wait patiently for him. There are lots of decisions that we have to, to make as elders where we need to commit our way to the Lord. The decisions we need to make as a church, we need to commit our way to the Lord 
And that is why when we come together to pray, we wait on him rather than rushing into quick decisions using our human wisdom. Does that mean Christians should be doormats, just accept evil? Well, no, we should speak out about it. But at the same time, we should not fret because God is in control. And those people um, who are doing evil will get their due, whether it's in this life or the life to come. Part of being meek is a steady, calm, and patience, trusting that God is in control. Again, who is the greatest example of such a person? Jesus. How did Jesus respond in the face of injustice when Pilate was falsely accusing him? He continued to speak the truth. He said, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. There is an aspect of submission in meekness, but it's not submission to a bully. It's submission to the truth. And where do we find the truth? In God's word. That's why it says in in James 1, And my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly or meekly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. There's a lesson here, isn't there, for how we interact with one another when we have different views. Uh, We should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because that anger normally comes when we, we don't get our own way. We should listen to each other, to listen to their explanation of uh, maybe how they got to their position um, from looking at the Bible. And we should be ready and willing to have our own view corrected by the truth found in God's word as we submit to it. But coming back to a godly response in the face of evil, how does Jesus encourage his followers to uh, show meekness? Well, with a promise. Now, the promise in the psalm and the one Jesus gives in the Beatitudes, as we go back to that, is the, mirror, the meek will inherit the earth. The reason Jesus didn't resist arrest was because he knew God was in control, and this was part of his plan. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. And that's what we need to remember as his followers. That we learned last week in the first attitude that the poor in spirit will receive the kingdom of heaven. That is ours. We belong to it if we are those who acknowledge Christ. The kingdom is not of this world. Yes, we still want to stand for truth and justice in this world. We want to reveal evil and injustice as we speak out and by the way we live our lives. But the promise that Jesus gives us is not you will get your way in this life. We may not. It's you will inherit the earth. That's a future promise, a promise that we can trust in because of Jesus' victory over sin, his victory over death in the resurrection. Now, the temptation for some might be to read this uh, and think, well, the world is a mess. Let's just withdraw from the world, enjoy our holy little huddle, and wait 
for the world to come. But the psalm says, trust in the Lord and do good. Do good to other people. Love your neighbor as yourself. Show them grace. Repay evil with kindness. You can't do that if you withdraw from the world. That's what Jesus is getting at in the next beatitude when he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Let's come on to that next beatitude. Because the meek, and this is where it's linked to the next one, the meek are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and they will be filled. Now that image of hunger and thirst is one that uh, any human being will um, easily understand and relate to. I'm sure we've all experienced those times um, where we've just felt either very thirsty or very hungry. And it's not pleasant. You know, we've been made with physical bodies that need food and drink to survive. For many people in the world, that's a daily struggle. But the metaphor of hunger and thirst can be used for other things for which we feel desperate. And not of all those things are healthy. There are those who hunger and thirst for alcohol or drugs or sex. There are those who hunger and thirst for material things like a new car, a new home, the latest gadget. To hunger and thirst for those things will not bring blessing, will not bring fullness, it will bring addiction or frustration. And God warns us against that in his word. In Isaiah, it says, Why spend money on what is not bread, your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen. Listen to me, he says, and eat what is good. And you will delight in the richest affair. Or Psalm 107. The Lord satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. So what is it that the followers of Jesus are called to hunger for? What is the food that is good? Back in Matthew, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But that's a big word, isn't it? What exactly does righteousness mean? Well, the word righteousness in the Bible is used in different ways. There is um, a legal righteousness, um, which is a right relationship with God. Another word for that is justification. Uh, the only way to achieve that is through trusting in Jesus and what he's done for us. And we'll be made right with God as we receive his forgiveness. There's also a moral righteousness, which is about living a life that is pleasing to God. It doesn't make you right with God, but it's the way in which the person who's already been made right with God, who trusts in him, then wants to live their life. It's also not just about keeping rules, as the Pharisees uh, did. That's what Jesus criticized them for, our self-righteousness. Now, this is an inner righteousness of our hearts and our minds. And John Stott points out there's a further dimension to that moral righteousness, which is a social righteousness. Again, a way of living which pleases God, but which also seeks to transform the community, the world around us. So it includes challenging injustice, defending the rights of the poor and the vulnerable, conducting business affairs with great integrity. It's all about how we relate to others around us, which is why you cannot hunger and thirst for righteousness if you withdraw from society. It means embracing our social responsibility. 
It means, as Jesus will go on to say, if you look at verse 13 of this, the same chapter, what it means to be salt and light in the world. As Martin Luther said, the command to you is not to crawl into a corner or into the desert, but to run out, if that is where you have been, and to offer your hands and your feet and your whole body and to wager everything you have and can do. The hunger and thirst for righteousness is to become the people Jesus wants us to be. The people who are living for him now and looking ahead to being with him in eternity. And the reason that there are so many broken people in this world is because they are looking for fulfillment in the things of this temporary world. But we were made for another world. We were made for God. C.S. Lewis uh, captured it very well when he said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Jesus promises that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. We filled for the, of the things of the world to come. The Beatitudes reveal a movement from, from emptiness to fullness. They start by saying, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, those who admit they are empty, who mourn their emptiness, who come with empty hands to Jesus. And the way in which they'll be filled is if they hunger and thirst for a life in which they can be what the other Beatitudes set out, in which they can be merciful and pure and peacemakers and persecuted. Jesus is speaking here not primarily to those who have yet to find their salvation in him. He's speaking to his disciples, those who have decided to follow him and yet who are still attached to the ways of this world, are seeking fullness in this life. Our fullness comes from living for Jesus, from from witnessing for Jesus in this life, relating to people as Jesus did, being like he was when he was on earth, with all the sacrifices that entails, but knowing that our reward is in heaven, knowing that we will inherit the earth, and that we belong to a different kingdom. And therefore, coming back to what it means to be meek, And linking that to having a hunger for righteousness, we don't need to fret at either the injustice of this world or all the things in the world that go wrong, all the people that let us down. Instead, we need to trust. Trust in the Lord and do good. That is what it means to drink of the living water that uh, Jesus provides. As Jesus said, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so what we're about to do when we take the Lord's Supper uh, now is to symbolically eat and drink of Jesus. We don't need to eat and drink much. You won't get much. Because if we trust in Jesus, we have already been filled with his grace, with his righteousness. We've already received the promise of eternal life. And we will never thirst. So as we come to celebrate what he did for us on the cross, let's come.
become aware of our own failings, that even though we might have promised to, to trust in Jesus, we still let him down. And so as we come to the table, let's just spend a moment of quiet first of all, uh, as reflecting on those areas where we have let him down. Let's mourn our sin. And let's receive the promise of comfort that he offers. It's a moment of quiet. Prepare ourselves to receive from him and be filled by him.